This episode features depictions of graphic violence and discussions of racism and colonization. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of the Mokele Mbimbe. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Central African and cryptozoological legends for dramatic effect. Hello, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week, we travel the world in search of the most epic creatures from myth and legend, exploring who they are, where they come from, and what they say about the culture they terrorized. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we finish our exploration of cryptids with one of the field's most controversial creatures. This prehistoric beast stalks the Central African wetlands, feasting on elephants and hippos. Its name roughly translates to one who stops the flow of rivers in the Bantu-based language of Lingala. It's a horror from the prehistoric past inexplicably existing in the present. It's the Mokele Mbimbe. Africa's living dinosaur. Coming up, a pair of hucksters meet their deadly hoax. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. When you imagine the African jungle, you're likely thinking of Congo. This Central African river basin is filled with thick rainforests and vast wetlands, so dense much of it hasn't been explored. The Lekuala region to the north is especially pristine. In 2011, nearly 80% of the area was uncharted. It's said that somewhere in Lekuala's swamps and flooded forests, you can find a living dinosaur, the Mokele Mbimbe. As legend has it, the Mokele Mbimbe is a long-necked sauropod like the Brontosaurus. It's massive, running at least 35 feet from head to tail. And while some believe it's a leaf-loving omnivore, 
Others fear it's a carnivore that feasts on elephants, hippos, and crocodiles. For such a large creature, the Mokele Mbembe has been surprisingly adept at evading capture. When believers are asked how a dinosaur is able to disappear in the wetlands, they say that the beast burrows into riverbanks to hide. And the Mokele Mbembe has many, many believers. The African Brontosaurus is the most famous reptilian cryptid after the Loch Ness Monster. In 1978, the father of cryptozoology, Bernard Huvelmans, wrote a book about the beast which inspired dozens of quests to find the elusive creature. The small Congolese villages in the area are more than happy to aid in these searches, as long as they're compensated. Funa did not want to do the speech, but her brother Ikena insisted. The white men always enjoyed it so much, he said. They'll tip so well. And if they don't? Funa had asked. Ikena had chuckled. Then you'll fix it. You always do. So as Funa and her brother paddled their two canoes through the flooded forest, each carrying one explorer from the British Empire, she did the speech. Now, Captain Curtis, Dr. Hammond, you must remember we are in dangerous waters. The crocodiles you can see, but a mamba can slide beneath you before you can blink, not to mention the hippos. Hammond interrupted her. The paleontologist was desperately trying to keep his rounded spectacles from slipping down his sweaty nose. And the brontosaurus, yes? We must beware the sauropod. Does it sleep beneath the water like a hippo? I do not know, sir. Hopefully we won't find out when we least expect it. She shot a glare at her brother. This whole thing was his idea. She wasn't technically lying. Neither she nor Ikena had promised that the so-called explorers would actually see the Mokele and Bimbe. They just neglected to mention that none of their tours had ever found the beast. Still, the business made Funa uncomfortable. As far as she knew, no one had ever seen it. Sure, there were whispers, but usually just in response to white men's questions. If locals confirmed that, yes, the Mokele Mbembe stalked the nearby swamps, they would earn a coin or two in response. Funa respected the gods and believed the legends she'd been told as a child, but she'd never heard any healer speak about giant lizards. It almost seemed silly to her, a monster in the swamp. But the white men paid to hunt it, so Funa and Ikena took them. At least she'd been able to collect some reeds for weaving later. Her bag sat at the center of the boat, filled with the fruits of her labor. Captain Curtis had been irritated each time they paused for her to cut a few, but big game hunters were always frustrated when there wasn't anything to shoot at or boast about. There was no point in explaining to him that actual hunting took patience. He'd probably just say that was what he was paying them for. The wind quieted as they turned their canoes around a wide tree with green and white flowers, giving the swamp an eerie stillness. Funa was still lost in her thoughts when she noticed that Ikena had stopped paddling. She stowed her paddle, but the water kept moving. Soft, steady waves pushed the boat gently against the reeds. Hammond was staring, slack-jawed, at something behind her. She opened her mouth to ask him what was wrong when Ikena whispered sharply, Don't move. 
Funa froze, her back arched, every muscle in her body ready to spring. She desperately wanted to turn around, but was terrified the movement would trigger an attack. If there was a green mamba beside the boat, it was already over. However, Funa didn't hear the almost imperceptible movements that preceded a mamba attack. Instead, she heard chewing. Funa knew there were hippos in the river, but this was no hippo. The thing's breaths came too thin somehow, too short. Hammond's bushy eyebrows quivered as he looked from her to the monstrous thing just beyond her vision. Something moved beside her. Curtis raised his rifle. Funa shook her head slowly. This was no lion corralled by safari guides. The sound alone told her that this was something the world had never seen before. Of course he wanted to kill it. The noise it made was so strange. Half breathy lion chuff, half avian squawk. Funa couldn't help it. She flinched. The captain fired. The beast screamed. The canoe bucked. Funa dropped to her knees and turned to see what was attacking them. She had not wanted to believe it. But there it was. Its mottled gray-brown skin hung over its massive frame like old leather. Its torso alone was three times her height. Then there was the neck, that long, thin neck that allowed the Mokele Mbembe to bob and weave its head as it roared. Ikenna grasped Curtis's shoulder. That's enough, we must leave. The captain shrugged him off, firing again. Ikenna leapt forward, trying to wrestle the gun away. You will get us all killed! Curtis knocked the butt of the gun against Ikenna's chest. Ikenna stumbled backward just as the dinosaur reached them. Curtis ducked in time, but Ikenna had never been quick. The dinosaur's jaws closed on his shoulder with a sickening crack. He screamed. Funa's cry joined his as the beast lifted her brother high into the air. Funa was certain she was about to watch her brother disappear down the gullet of the beast. Instead, it turned and headed back to the depths of the marsh. Ikenna was gone. Coming up, Funa enters a dinosaur's lair. Listeners, most of you probably know that I host another podcast series called Serial Killers. What you may be surprised to learn is that we've been working on that podcast for five years now. So as a special treat for the fans, we've prepared an anniversary series examining the mythology surrounding four of the most feared killers who ever lived. Kemper, Gacy, Bundy, Dahmer. This four-part series uncovers the men behind the mayhem, analyzing what turned them into killers and how their lethal behavior made them renowned for all the wrong reasons. Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any true crime or storytelling fan, and this fifth anniversary special is not one to miss. Check it out today by following Serial Killers, free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Funa couldn't breathe. She felt like her heart had been ripped from her chest, leaving a bottomless, empty hole. Her brother Ikenna had been taken by an impossible creature, what the white men called the Mokele Mbimbe. 
Funa didn't care what it was called. She just wanted her brother back. Funa jumped up, shouting at Captain Curtis. Give it to me, Captain. Give the gun to me. That thing has my brother. Curtis clutched the weapon like a beloved toy. Absolutely not. You saw what happened. Your brother is done for, and he said he was an expert. (laughs) We're heading home. Funa's eyebrows arched upwards. Not with me as your guide. These are my canoes, mine and Ikenna's, who you seem to have forgotten. Get out. She nodded at Dr. Hammond. You too. Hammond blustered. You can't mean to go after it. Curtis stuck his nose in the air. Let her go, Hammond. We'll make our way back on our own. The doctor blinked owlishly. How? Do you know where we came from? Curtis looked mortally offended. Of course I do. We came around that tree. Hammond narrowed his eyes. And before that? Curtis fumbled, but it was obvious he did not know the answer. Funa would have rolled her eyes if she wasn't so angry. They were stuck with each other then, at least for now. Even though as far as she was concerned, this was all their fault. Swallowing her disgust, she nudged Hammond into Curtis's boat. She wanted to have a quick exit for her and Ikenna if she found him. When she found him. Hammond settled in at the front of the other canoe while Curtis stumbled to the back, taking up Ikenna's paddle. They cut a slow path through the flooded forest, following the Mokele Mbimbe. Hammond stared pensively at the dark water. Your brother's body will likely float. That is, unless it ripped him in two. Funa gave him a look that could kill. Still, she kept an eye on the surface for Ikenna. The riverbed rose up slowly beside them as they paddled, brown clay and mud growing steeper and higher. Still, there was no sign of Ikenna or the beast that took him. She didn't understand how something so large could just disappear. Finally, just as she began to despair, she heard it. That odd chirping and chuffing again. She paddled furiously, chasing the sound. Curtis and Hammond struggled to keep up. Funa rounded a bend in the river and was met with a great dark void in the riverbank, three times her height, a burrow for an impossibly massive creature. She hopped out of the canoe, tossed her paddle at Hammond, and grabbed her bag of reeds. Not exactly a weapon, but it was better than going in empty-handed. Then she headed for the mouth of the tunnel. Curtis grabbed her arm roughly, his voice tinged with panic. We're not going in there. Funa twisted in his grip. You're not. I am. Hammond stepped in front of her. My dear, I am sorry, but we must turn back. He is dead. Funa shoved them both away. If he is dead, I will retrieve him. If he is not, I will rescue him. You are irrelevant. Leave if you wish. She adjusted the bag on her shoulder and strode into the darkness. The Mokele Mbimbe burrow was a wide cavern that bored deep into the riverbank. It was as if the earth itself had opened to hide the evil beast from the world. There was no purity here, no light, just musty, heavy, dripping darkness and the monster's unnerving breathing. 
A high-pitched sound echoed from behind Funa. She whipped around to see the keening had come from Dr. Hammond, who jumped at every small glob of clay that fell on him. The captain was beside him, clutching his weapon like a life raft. Funa let them catch up. Having a distraction might be good, although she wasn't sure if she wanted one for her or for the creature. Maybe both. Captain Curtis's face was twisted into an unfamiliar shape, a smile. You're brave, I'll give you that. Perhaps I'll kill this creature for you. Hammond here can identify it. We'll send it to the Carnegie Museum and be out of your hair. Then at least your brother's sacrifice wouldn't have been in vain. Funa did not dignify the offer with a response. She knew in her heart Ikenna was still alive, but he wouldn't stay that way for long. She needed to hurry. Something glittered ahead in the dark, a beetle on the clay wall, or so Funa thought. Then it blinked. The Mokele Mbimbe had reached its long neck down the tunnel. It galloped forward with a roar. Funa tried to run, but she felt Curtis's hands on her shoulders, holding her still. She realized he meant to use her to save himself. In his panic, perhaps he thought offering her to the beast would stop it from trampling him. The monster drew closer. Its steps rattled her bones. Funa squirmed, twisting her whole torso as far as she could. She pulled her elbows in, then threw one back against Curtis's stomach. He gasped and doubled over. His grip loosened. It was all she needed to pull free. But the dinosaur was practically on top of her. Funa dove between the creature's legs and rolled as far to the right as she could. She struck the wall and held herself there by sheer will alone. The giant creature rushed by her, shaking the tunnel as it passed. It disappeared into the pinprick of daylight at the end of the tunnel. Funa fell to her knees, forcing air back into her lungs. She'd made it. Against all odds, she'd made it. The men weren't so lucky. The dinosaur had run over them and kept going, leaving a mess of trampled flesh in its wake. Limbs had been torn from their sockets, splinters of exposed bone poked out from ripped flesh. Curtis's chest was entirely caved in. The elephant gun lay in pieces, and bits of shrapnel stuck in the captain's flesh at odd angles. Hammond's eyes were glassy, his lips blood-soaked. Funa shivered. What a horrible way to die. Hammond moaned, calling out for his mother. Funa stifled a shriek of surprise and pressed herself against the earthen tunnel wall. Somehow, he was still alive. Funa peered into the darkness for any sign of the creature coming back. The tunnel was too narrow for the Mokele Mbimbe to turn around before the entrance. It had headed out into the sunshine for at least the moment. That gave her time, but only a little She tried to stand as still as possible in the dark, hoping the doctor couldn't see her. It didn't work. He began to call for help. It was a long, tortured sound, the voice of a man who was alone in the world. A flash of anger sizzled in Funa's heart. Those moans were the sound her soul had been making since the beast took her brother. And this man was why he was here. Yet she took tentative steps forward, Hammond moaned again. She whispered softly, 
I'm here. You're not alone. Perhaps she said it more for herself than him. She offered no platitudes, no other words of comfort, but still her presence seemed to ease Hammond. Bit by bit, his moans turned to labored wheezing. Then they faded away completely. Funa was alone in the dark once again. It was just her and Ikenna now, if she was lucky. Coming up, Funa finds an unexpected solution to a very big problem. Now, back to the story. Funa took a moment to compose herself. She was in the dark, but she wasn't alone. Ikenna was down here somewhere, and she was his only hope. She was terrified her brother was dead already. If he had miraculously survived, then she had another problem. The beast was outside. She would have to sneak both herself and her seriously injured brother past the Mokele Mbimbe again. She hefted her bag and picked up the pace, pressing a hand lightly against the side of the tunnel, keeping both her feet and her mind steady. After a few minutes, the path opened up into an impossibly large cavern. The top of the cave seemed as far away as the stars above. She struggled to discern anything in the gloom. She called Ikenna's name. The smallest exhale answered back. Funa tiptoed forward. Ikenna, please tell me you're all right. Finally, he answered. I'm alive. I can't walk, but I'm alive. It keeps shoving me like I'm a toy. Uh, It hurts. It hurts so much. Funa, you should go back. Funa shook her head. No, I'll fix this. I fix all your dumb ideas, remember? Ikenna laughed. (laughs) I deserve that, but at least I'm not boring. She followed his voice towards the far wall, groping in the dark. Finally, she caught sight of her brother, huddled in a crevice at the edge of the wall. She rushed forward and embraced him. Ikenna gasped in pain and Funa drew back. He was in terrible shape. Blood stained his clothes and he cradled his right arm against his chest. But he was alive. Funa's heart was thundering in her chest, so she didn't hear the footfalls at first. Heavy, familiar, the Mokele Mbimbe was coming back. Ikenna drew back into his crevice, begging her to hide, but there was nowhere to go, unless she went backwards. Funa ran for the edge of the cavern, hiding right beside the entrance. The Mokele Mbimbe barreled out of the tunnel and into the wide open space. It ran towards Ikenna. Funa felt her heart breaking. After Dr. Hammond, she couldn't listen to another death, especially Ikenna's. Funa dashed forward and stepped between the monster and her brother, her bag swinging behind her. She stared up into its beady eyes with her iciest glare. The Mokele Mbimbe blinked at her, confused. Funa rested her weight on her back foot, preparing to defend herself. If she could punch it in the eye and daze it, maybe she and Ikenna could get away. The beast's head settled even with her, staring at her with one dark brown eye. Funa told herself to attack, but her body wouldn't move. The head drew closer. Then it sniffed her. 
a rush of air came from its nostril, warming her face in the cold dark. The Mokele Mbimbe nudged her with its nose. She fell back against the wall. So this was what Ikenna had meant by shoving. It liked to play with its food. It pushed her again, pressing her up against the clay. She felt her ribs buckling under the pressure, like tiny shards of glass against her lungs. Ikenna was whispering to her, Please, Funa, you have to run! The dinosaur interrupted him with another long sniff. It smashed its nose against her bag. Funa realized what it was looking for. She ripped off her bag and tossed it as far away as she could. The Mokele Mbimbe dove for it, pulling it open. The sounds of snapping reeds and chewing echoed around the cave. Funa grabbed Ikenna's hand. Let's go! Ikenna limped forward. What happened? What did you do? Funa couldn't suppress her nervous smile in the dark. It wanted something different to eat. Ikenna crowed. The reeds? Oh, sister, you are a genius. As Funa tugged him down the tunnel, he spoke. Maybe it doesn't even eat meat. Maybe it just wanted to play with you and didn't know how. Ikenna shivered. No, Funa, there were all kinds of bones in there. Crocodile, snake, human. Some of the skulls were snapped in two, gnawed on. It eats people. It just didn't eat us. Funa's throat was tight and dry, but she tried to sound casual. Well, it's just like we told the doctor and the captain. We are the experts, after all. Ikenna let out a desert dry laugh as they emerged into the sunshine. They got into their canoe and Funa rowed them home. Neither of them said it aloud, but they didn't need to. The days of Ikenna's scheme were over. They would never venture into the swamp again. The first reports of the Mokele Mbimbe date from the global dinosaur craze at the turn of the 20th century. Massive prehistoric skeletons appeared in museums for the first time, capturing imaginations on every continent, including Africa. This dino fever led to a rush of interest in lost world stories. These works of fiction featured living prehistoric species hidden in the remote reaches of the Earth. Though the stories were fantasy, some scientists believed the idea was worth investigating, which gave them an air of legitimacy that smelled like sweet perfume to hucksters and conmen. One of the first descriptions of Mokele Mbimbe-like creatures comes from P.T. Barnum's wild animal dealer, Carl Hagenbeck, in his 1909 book, Beasts and Men. Hagenbeck wrote that he'd heard legends of a living beast in the Congo similar to the sauropod skeletons that were appearing in museums. However, there are no local legends about living dinosaurs, at least not from before colonial European contact. Later native legends may have resulted from Congolese telling foreigners what they wanted to hear. If white explorers came looking for a dinosaur, it was in their best interest to confirm its existence, especially if they might receive gifts or money for their help. 
There's no better example of this than cryptozoologist Roy Mackle's search for the Mokele Mbimbe in 1987. When he spoke to a public official in Likuala, the man told him that his translation of the Mokele Mbimbe was wrong. It didn't actually mean one who stops the flow of rivers. It meant rainbow. Mackle pushed back, saying the official needed to tell the truth. When he returned the next day, the official agreed that Mackle was right. The appeal of living dinosaurs and lost worlds is still potent today, and after six Jurassic Park films, it doesn't seem to be waning anytime soon. But we must ask ourselves what we're actually trying to recapture, and what we're willing to risk to do so. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with an all-new season, a journey to the verdant fjords and ivory glaciers of Iceland. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jen Rache, edited by Molly Quinlan and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, researched by Adriana Gomez, and produced by Travis Clark. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 